well met, travelers, and welcome to the Kinky Tavern. Pull up a stool. What do you have to drink? Here, we aim to extend to all who may seek it disability-centered kink education. In doing so, we're going to be talking about different aspects of BDSM, leather, the kink community, the relationships and dynamics within it, and so much more. All opinions voiced in this podcast are just that, opinions, and they should not be taken as fact or medical advice. We only speak from what we've learned and experienced in our own journeys. And remember, my dear friends, kink is customizable. Consent is the only requirement. Words mean things, but we also give them meaning. Remember, no kink shaming and no judgment. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. Exciting announcement. Guess what, guys? We have merch. We all came up with some awesome ideas. M designed them, and Alan set up our store. We have the classic Kinky Tavern logo, as well as some clever and funny sayings from our podcasts or just from our little weird braids. Our designs are available in shirts up to 5X. Now to get a 5X, you have to go to men's and classic, but there are 5Xs, which I'm excited about. We also have hoodies, tapestries, stickers, blankets, mugs, zip pouches, face masks, and more. So check it out. All proceeds go to our education fund, which helps all of us go to cons, go to classes, travel to cons, etc. So anything that you get will be helping us educate ourselves further to bring you more education on the podcast. If you would like to support us or follow us, we are on Patreon at The Kinky Tavern, FetLife, Twitter, and Instagram, all at The Kinky Tavern. I'm also personally on FetLife at mdizzy, E-M-D-I-Z-Z-Y. Please do not friend me on that account. You can definitely follow me and you can friend The Kinky Tavern, but please don't friend me on that one. That's for people I know. I'm also on TikTok at MixDizzySoul. M-X-D-I-Z-Z-Y-S-O-U-L, and on Twitter at Daddy's Dizzy Soul, D-A-D-D-Y-S-D-I-Z-Z-Y-S-O-U-L, and all of those will be linked down below. Yes, and you can also find me on TikTok. Yes, I have a TikTok. I'm never on it, but you can send me stuff at uh, pup underscore Merlin underscore Wrecker, R-E-K-K-R. That is also my FetLife. You can follow me there or message me or whatever. I also run the Kinky Tavern Twitter. So, And I am on FetLife at Alan's World 111. Please do not friend me. Only follow me there. Those are for people that I know. On Instagram, Lord Alan Vidra. That would be L-O-R-D-A-L-L-E-N-V-Y-D-R-A. Twitter at Lord Allen 111. And TikTok, Alan's World 111. Please follow me on TikTok so that I can get to a live. Excellent. So please give us a follow, give us a like, and keep up to date on what we're doing with the Kinky Tavern podcast. The topics within this podcast are explicit. Listeners should be 18 and up only. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Mix Dizzy. And I'm Marky Puprecker. And I'm Lord Allen. And today is part two of Conscious Language with Master Devin Stone. There's a lot of transness happening in this uh, podcast situation, so how about we talk about transphobic language? I was just about to ask about that. Yes, please. Oh, yeah, that'd be happening. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the transphobic language section, I find it really interesting that a lot of um, a lot of resources for trans inclusion are actually trying to get away from the term transphobic and starting to use uh, more terms like um, anti-transgender or there's another phrase that I can't think of off the top of my head that a lot of people are trying to replace transphobic or transphobia with. Is it transismia? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's like a, a little bit of a moment of like, hmm, transphobic language. Hmm, should we still use the word transphobic even? Um, but 
one of the ones that I think, so there's, there's two in this section that I find really interesting. One is uh, one that a lot of people really get stuck on. Like, I, I don't understand why that's harmful or offensive. And then all the trans people in the room are like, oh God, let me tell you. But then there's another one that makes everybody kind of stop and, and think, which I think is really funny. So the first one is preferred pronouns. And that's the the moment where everybody, like every trans person in the room is like nodding their head emphatically, like, yes, fuck this phrase. I hate this phrase. And then all the cis people in the room are like, what's, what's wrong with the phrase? I don't understand. I thought we were supposed to ask for, for preferred pronouns. I had to have this conversation last week with an elder of the indigenous community here. Um she was she and she was being really kind and she was like i just wanted to know what you prefer and i said i don't prefer anything i demand it right and then she just like got taken aback for a minute and she was like i would like to teach you how to not demand things but to wait for them to come to you and i said yeah no i am not in a place to learn that lesson no thank you um i would like to teach you how to respect other people's boundaries and demands. And she was like, oh, uh, oh, okay. As if somebody has not ever said that to her before, which I am pretty sure that nobody has. Um, I have stopped like saying, um, okay, like I'll give you my quote preferred pronouns or my preferred name or whatever. Um, I've stopped saying that. Um, to, I will give you my pronouns and I will give you my name, but I do not prefer it. I demand it. And you will be using these pronouns and you will be using this name for me. Right. Anything else is unacceptable. And, you know, like a lot of people get really defensive about that. And I'm like, okay, so let's just like mix it up a little bit. What if somebody called you by the wrong pronouns and you by the wrong name and then insisted that it was correct? And like, I mean, I have to go through that on a daily basis. Like people call me like girl, she, her, whatever. While I don't have a problem with being feminine and, you know, reveling in my femininity and loving it, you still have to keep in mind that I do not go by those pronouns. You are actively misgendering me and you are actively being transphobic towards me when you do that and also um i want to talk about a little bit of why we are moving away from transphobia uh, as a word because i actually have not been educated on that before it is because phobia denotes that it's a fear phobia is using transphobic homophobic is not only saying this is a valid thing for you to be afraid of it also then in turn, like stigmatizes or dismisses, diminishes actual clinical phobias. Yeah, right, right. Like that, that uh, the whole like claustrophobia, right? For instance, is is an actual phobia um, that that is real, that is related to you know anxiety and fear and all that fun stuff. Um, and so it's the idea that saying that someone or something is transphobic that like it almost kind of erases the validity of people that experience phobias and so transphobia is now and this is like there's a an article i think planned parenthood wrote uh, or posted the article that's uh, basically talking about how transphobia is now referred to transmissia missia means hatred So transmissia is, um, I'm reading now from the article, uh, stigmatizes or harms trans non-binary and gender non-conforming people, which gender non-conforming people has already been um, updated to gender expansive. So that's another one. Or transmissia denies the validity of their identities, sees them as less human, or treats them as less worthy of care and respect. I'll drop the link in the chat too yeah i didn't realize about gender non-conforming and i am a gender expansive person (laughs) 
So mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, a lot of people started to move away from uh, gender non-conforming as a term because it sounds combative. Mm. So like the, we, we use the term conform as like, you know, you, you bend to the will and, and the, um, the way of the world um, and being non-conforming sounds almost like a combative situation of like I'm fighting against and, and things like that. Um, but it's also about like, people trying to dismantle the idea of gender as a social construct in the first place. So there's nothing, you know, there's so hopefully the, the idea eventually is to change it from where like you can't conform because no conformity exists. So it's the idea that um, using the term gender expansive also more fully encompasses a lot of people. So it's kind of the same as the umbrella term LGBTQIA plus two. And saying that, like, that relates to sexual orientation or queerness and the term gender expansive refers to the wide array of gender identities that fall outside of cis men and cis women. Um, I've also heard the term gender anarchist lately. Have you heard that? Mm I feel like in the situations that I've heard gender anarchist, it's been in people that use it as a self identity mm-hmm. um, in the same way that like, I know a couple of people that say they're, they're pronoun agnostic. Yes. And so it's kind of that like personal, like being able to describe how you feel about your gender using a certain word or a phrase that kind of makes people think that. So like when you, when you say I am pronoun agnostic, it, it kind of gives that image of like, I don't subscribe to any specific pronouns, much like agnostic folks don't subscribe to any particular religion or spiritual path. So it's that, you know, trying to call up that idea. Same thing goes for you know, gender anarchist or um, yeah, gender fucked or I have a friend that calls themselves gender full. They say, I, I, mm-hmm. I am genderful. I just have too much gender. Oh. <laughs> I love it. So That's there's fabulous. a lot there. Um, I think the other one in this section, which I find really interesting, is um, saying biological gender and um, specifically, hi- I also specifically highlight in this section the phrase with quotations they quote identify as um says like this one comes up a lot when people are typically invalidating or interrogating people about their gender so they'll Mm -hmm. say things like yes but what's your biological gender what were you born or they will go on about a whole thing um, with like, oh, you know, my friend so and so, yeah, they identify as a man, um, and like, there's that connotation there of like invalidating and um, kind of ostracizing and isolating that person, and saying mm-hmm. that you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, my friend Alan identifies as this, or you know, my friend Devin identifies as this, right? But when we do it with that inflection that tone mm-hmm. that that vibe of like oh yeah the, well they identify as you know xyz um, it kind of leaves room for people to feel like the other part of that sentence is but they really are something else right and that's that's a thing that we want to avoid and we don't want to make people feel like their identity is invalid or strange yeah absolutely Em, can I talk about the conversation that we had the other day? You can. Well, okay. So basically we had a conversation the other day about um, like language and what I um, would prefer that we use um, because this is actually a preference. This isn't just like a, like a demand or anything like that. This is like actually 100% a preference. but uh, M had referenced me in a in a Discord server the other day um, and said that Alan identifies as a slave, 
because somebody else was saying that I was a dominant because I used the honorific Lord. Um, <laughs> and also that I'm a top. And um, yeah, so they were telling me that I was a dominant. Um, and M was trying to say like, Alan is a slave, but they're not my slave. And so they said, Alan identifies as a slave. And we had to have a conversation, or we didn't have to, but we did. Um, we had a conversation about the way that I felt about that and what I would rather them say. Um, so, like, identity is not necessarily what I would have called it, um, because, like, naturally I am submissive. Naturally I am a slave. And so I don't identify as it, I just am. And it would be the same way as me referring to my gender. I don't identify as two-spirit. I don't identify as non-binary. I am. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was just like a little tiny example. <laughs> um, even though that was mostly preference, um, it's still, I think, applicable. One thing that I heard recently that I really like as it relates to this topic is it's not a it's not an opinion. It's a fact. Um, and that's why a lot of people are moving away from like the preferred pronouns or preferred name or things like that, um, because it, it implies that someone's gender or someone's pronouns are, are an option or a choice when really it's it's a fact absolutely um also to any like leather conventions who are listening right now please stop asking me what my preferred name and pronouns are on your applications please stop doing that just ask me what my name and pronouns are that's all you have to do I've started on um, applications to input, like when it asks for my preferred pronouns, I put he, him, and then in parentheses, I write, it's not a preference. Um, and then, oh, this is a good segue into mental health language. They ask, um, are you neurodiverse? And I will type into the in, into the little box, like, yes, I am neurodivergent. <laughs> slyly correcting and I think it's hilarious oh yeah we were just having that conversation um like the word neurodiverse does not make sense in the context in which most people would try to use it right. um so d if anybody didn't know we are not neurodiverse we are neurodivergent um Devin do you want to like explain that a little bit um, so there's a lot of um, conversations right now around terminology that's specific to um, neurodivergence and mental health. Um, so there is a really large misuse of the terms. So there's the neurodiversity model, which is the, the natural diversity of human brains, right? It's, it's that like we as a human species, the race of humans, we are the, the neurodiversity model is the natural diversity of all of our individual brains. So the term neurodiversity, which is like an all encompassing word. And then we have the neurodiversity paradigm, which is the philosophy of neurodiversity. So it's what neurodiversity means and how it should be treated. Then we have the neurodiversity movement, which is the political and social justice movement attached to the neurodiversity paradigm. Then we have neurodivergent, which refers to a singular person whose brain differs from um, or diverges from the statistical norm. So neurodivergent, a neurodivergent human. And then neurotypical is a person whose brain does not differ from the statistical norm. And then we have the term neurodiverse, which is a group of people with different brain types, different neurotypes. Um, so when you ask someone, are you neurodiverse? What you're asking is, are you a group of people with different types of brains? Which can be really funny to somebody that has uh, that lives with dissociative identity disorder. But um, I digress. 
So the, the term for an individual, one singular human being is neurodivergent. Yeah, I think recently there's there's been a lot of um, misuse of the terms neurodiverse, neurodiversity, and neurodivergent. Been quite a, quite a bit lately. Um, I've seen a lot of people um, misusing the the term neurodiver- neurodiversity. Um, and like I saw a class or, or an event recently called uh, neurodiversity something like. the neurodiverse kink model and in the description it talked about um neurodiverse people and i was like Mm -hmm. so now i'm confused about what this class is about because you used like four different words and phrases and i feel like you misused at least two of them so now i actually don't know what your class is about i don't get it (laughs) right and i think that's something with language especially in more progressive language, um, more progressive realms of language, I should say, for example, like mental health and race and gender are all three realms of language, which are very progressively changing right now, very consistently changing. Right. Because like, as you said, like, I didn't know about the gender nonconforming, you know, it's just, it happens so quickly, but you can't just hear a word in context and think that you know what it means. You you should, before you add it to your language, you should know what it means. And that's something that I've started doing is when I see a word that I don't know what it means, um, you know, exactly, because I'm really good at context clues. I don't just rely on the context clues. I look it up. And I think that that's a really important part of being conscious with your language. Yeah, 100%. I think that one of the um, really big moments for a lot of people when I teach uh, the conscious language class is when we start talking about um, neurodivergence and, and mental health, because there are a lot of words and phrases that are misused in a lot of really upsetting ways. Um, and so that section always tends to be a really big eye opener for a lot of people. I don't even know if I should say eye opener. I'm going to think about that. Um, <clears throat> But it makes people really think about some of the things that we hear on a really regular basis that are really stigmatizing or feel like erasure almost. Um, So when we get into this section, um, I always find it really, really interesting to listen to people talk about their experiences. And um, it's also really interesting to me to see neurotypical people kind of start realizing slowly that they use a lot of these words. Um, and on the other side, they hear the neurodivergent humans in the room are talking about their personal experiences. So they're kind of like that person that like, for instance, uses functioning labels in their life and to refer to people. And then they hear autistic people in the class talking about their negative experiences with functioning labels So they have that moment of like everything kind of connects for them. And they're like, oh, wow, I do this. And I didn't realize the impact that I was having on people when I do this. Absolutely agree. I think one that I'm sure that you will bring it up if I don't. But I think one I've seen a lot of on social media, I follow a lot of like psychology based um, stuff. I, I think one that I've seen a lot of is narcissist. And I think that what really gets me about it is that there are people who use the word narcissist using it in a way of like saying I had abuse. I had mm-hmm. abuse from a narcissist. But it's okay that I use this word because they actually had NPD. Yeah. That really gets me because it, it's kind of a catch-22. It's that survivor of abuses take is still valid but if you're saying if you're saying it in that way it still stigmatizes narcissistic personality disorder and those who have it and work really hard not to be abusive and i don't know it's just i was curious what you might think about that you yeah, said it's it's definitely one that i um i try in this class i try really hard not to get on my own soapbox about um, if you ever actually see me teach this class, um, 
you'll, you'll probably notice that I actually don't mention that one out loud <laughs> because I'm like, please don't do it. I don't want to get on my soapbox. Um, but I'm, I'm sorry as I slide the soapbox over to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I love my soapbox. I just typically only have 90 minutes to do this class. And so we don't have time for my soapbox, but we do now. Um, so I always think it's really interesting um, to hear people say things like, uh, you know, it's okay for me to say that I suffered narcissistic abuse because the person that abused me uh, was clinically diagnosed with NPD. And so I find it really interesting because the same thing is not typically said about people that were abused by, you know, autistic people or people that have ADHD or people that are uh, bulimic or people that live with, you know, um, I don't know, OCD or insomnia. Like, <laughs> there's, you know, we, we only really use this phrase for um, very specific people, um, like people that live with bipolar or people that live with borderline personality disorder or antisocial personality disorder or sociopathy. Um, you know, like only these specific people. One thing that I heard um, at one point about narcissistic abuse that I found really shitty um, was somebody saying that they don't have to worry about stigmatizing people with NPD um, because they deserve it, um, which I thought was really an interesting thing to say. Yeah. Um, I've seen that sentiment. Yeah. I, I occasionally have um, interesting conversations with people about um, stigma surrounding narcissism at Thrive. Um, for anybody that, that might not know, um, Thrive is the conference. I'm the executive producer for the conference Thrive. We're a conference dedicated to the intersection of mental health, neurodivergence, and kink. Um, one of our largest tenets at Thrive is to smash stigma, right? Like we want to, we, we want to dismantle harmful and oppressive ideas about neurodivergence and mental health. Um, so one of the things that we work really hard to do is to have classes or discussions that specifically frame some of these things. And so the other, um, it might've been last year or the year before, um, but we had a class called uh, the sociopath's guide to good mastery. And um, somebody had reached out and, and said that we were as a conference that we were trying to make um, sociopathy sound better or be more appealing. And um, my response to that was, you know, we're, we're not trying to glorify sociopathy as much as we are trying to normalize that it is a thing that human people live with and it does not automatically make a person a monster or abusive and you can take that sentiment and you can continue it through to other labels and other diagnoses um so you know we also want to say that same thing about bipolar or about borderline personality disorder or um, about uh, narcissism. Um, I personally have been diagnosed clinically three different times with narcissistic personality disorder. Um, later in my life, learning other things, I'm discovering that it might be a misdiagnosis. Um, it might be an accurate diagnosis. I haven't been able to untangle um, stuff with my own trauma mixed with autism mixed with probably a couple of other things that I'm investigating. Um, but for now and for the foreseeable future, I continue to identify as someone with narcissistic personality disorder. And I do call myself a narcissist. Um, so one of the things that I do um, in an order to kind of help dispel those myths and rumors, I actually teach a class called You Can Love a Narcissist. Um, and we talk a lot about narcissistic stigma and how like using the term narcissist as a substitute for abuse or assholery is really shitty. Um, and it makes me going on dates really difficult. So I'd appreciate it if you stopped. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna talk about the first time that I actually took this class. Um, and I actually did ask that question. Um, and it, 
provided a lot of really, really helpful resources for one thing and a really helpful way of thinking about that. And the way that you framed it was basically like using yourself in um, in a replacement of whatever I was going to say. Like, would you say this about me? Would you do that? And like, would you say these things about me? And the answer is no. Um, I would hardly ever say anything like that about you. Um, but that's just because I know you pretty well by now. Um, or at least as well as I can. Um, and I find that a lot of people with trauma, you know, talk about narcissists in such a negative way. And, you know, to some extent, it can be understandable. Um, but it's not fair to group the entire, like, NPD community into that. Um, it's just not. I know more narcissists than Devin who are, you know, actively deconstructing that about themselves and actively trying to do their best to minimize the hurt that they cause in the world. And I can't say that about a lot of other people. So, like, the thing is, is that we're stigmatizing this one mental illness as being the king of all assholes, the asshole-ish of all assholes. And, you know, we're not taking a step back and, like, literally humanizing them and saying, like, okay, yeah, you might have done this one shitty thing, uh, but I've also done a million shitty things that are just like that. Um, but nobody's on my ass about how about how horrible I am and about how unimaginable like the pain is. It's about crushing that stigma and recognizing that not one single person can represent a mental illness or a mental disability. Not one single person could ever do that. Um, right. So it's not fair to say that about literally anyone, especially if you don't know them. Well, and to me, um, narcissist, psychopath, and sociopath are the three that are mostly used in a very obvious way. So they'll say, uh, so I've seen, um, you know, if you go Google the term narcissist right now, and just click on the images that come up in Google, you'll probably see hundreds of memes um, just like denigrating this diagnosis. Um, but you'll see things that say, you know, how to, um, how to heal from narcissistic abuse or um, how to tell if your boyfriend's a sociopath or, you know, things like that, that I think are a little bit more obvious. One of the things that I really like about this section is we also talk about the stuff that's really sneaky, um, that's kind of slowly changed um, our viewpoint as a society to become more unconsciously biased. And one of the reasons that I highlight it is because everybody always wonders, you know, why are we able to talk about physical health symptoms like, oh, I feel sick, I have a fever, um, but we're not able to say things like, um, I have, you know, a, a XYZ thing that causes depression and I'm having a depressed day. You know, like we can call out of work sick physically, but we can't call out of sick, we can't call out of work sick emotionally or mentally. And people are like, well, why do we have this stigma? And it's like, well, it's because linguistically in our culture in the U.S., at least, you know, I can't speak for other places, but in the U.S., linguistically, we have created unconscious bias by saying things like crazy, psycho, insane, um, but also by saying things like idiot, moron. Um, and we've kind of normalized that um, and, and, and trivialized that that idea of mental health or neurodivergence is something bad or something weird or strange or difficult um, rather than just seeing it for what it is, which is just a fact, right? Like it just is the way it is. It's not a good thing or a bad thing unless you make it a good thing or a bad thing. It's just, it just is what it is. Um, so we talk a little bit about 
some of the like typical phrases that kind of relate to different things that people don't recognize. So like one of my favorite examples in this section is always, um, I'm going to go binge Netflix. And then people are like, Oh, I guess now that I think about that, now I'm realizing that that trivializes and kind of erases the meaning of somebody living with an eating disorder um, and and living with, with binge eating. Now I'm realizing that I probably shouldn't say that. But then there's other ones that are even more obvious. Like um, my favorite one is uh, the weather is being so bipolar lately. Um, and then all the people in the room that, that live with bipolar are like, yes, yes, I hate that one. I'm so tired of that one. Um, or, you know, oh, I, I like to have things in a very specific way. I'm just OCD like that. Or um, recently I've, I've, I've been seeing a bunch of stuff on TikTok lately with people being like, oh, my God, that movie, I'm obsessed. Um, and then uh, those are those are ones that I, I found that like a lot of people are like, oh, my God, I just said that yesterday. And I didn't even realize the kind of implication that that has. Absolutely. I think one of the ones that I've heard or some of the ones I've heard most recently that are actively in spaces, because of course we have our kinky spaces, we have our psych spaces, we have our, you know, different spaces for ourselves based on our interests. Uh, Planner addicts, I like to plan, I like planners. And that is a huge, like almost probably 80% of the planner groups that exist have the word addict in them. Mm -hmm. I've also seen it with like knitting or embroidery or whatever. It's like so common. Um, Another one that I absolutely hate is the overuse of the word triggered. Yes. Because it diminishes what someone is, what triggered actually means so much. Yeah. And especially, okay, we just talked about OCD I get so often, I will hear people say, I'm so OCD. And that literally chaps my ass so much. Because first of all, you can't be OCD. You have OCD. Um, And then also, yeah, it also gets into um, person first versus identity first language. And if y'all don't know what that is... um, time to practice conscious language it is um so person first versus identity first language is like saying i'm autistic that is a correct assumption yes um i could also say i have autism um that is also a correct assumption and it's just like the difference between the two so person first is i have autism and then identity first is I'm autistic. Um, is that correct? I went to I went through like at least four or five classes for my special ed degree that literally only talked about this. Um, <laughs> so like, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's my understanding. Yeah, it, it's a lot of it, a lot of the time it's seen more in referencing other people than re- referencing oneself. Um, so in a lot of um, like business situations or medical situations, they'll say um, the the man with autism versus the autistic man. Um, so it's typically used in referring to other people. And the big debate is like, what is correct? And the reality is what is correct is what that individual uses for themselves. It's interesting to hear that it's more a specific debate around personality disorders, which um like narcissism falls under that category um anything cluster b um falls under that category you know borderline personality disorder but one that a lot of people don't realize is actually obsessive compulsive personality disorder so there are some people in the world that prefer um and that say i am ocd versus i have ocd Um, similar to a lot of other things. Like uh, I know a handful of people that say I am bipolar instead of saying I have bipolar disorder. Well, okay. So the most of the scenarios I'm talking about is somebody who is just like a little bit quirky with organization. 
and they say, oh my God, I'm so OCD. And I'm like, okay, let's back that up here. Do you know what OCD means? Do you know what it's like to have it? Because to be honest, I have OCD. I also have ODD, um, obsessive compulsive disorder and obstinate defiance disorder. So like, I don't know. Okay, I'm I'm just going to end my soapbox there because I need to. <laughs> <laughs> I think one that comes up a lot with with OCD is recognizing that first off there are multiple different types of OCD. Yes. And most people and like most people don't even know about know enough about OCD to know that there are multiple types. So my clap back for oh I'm so OCD is typically oh yeah me too which type. I'm going to use that now. Like I, I heard somebody, um, I don't know if it was when I was teaching conscious language, but it, it was probably just during a conversation, but somebody said like, that's my clapback because I actually have OCD. And so when somebody says, oh my God, I'm so OCD my my constant clapback to them is always, oh yeah, me too. What type do you have? Um, and I was like, oh man, I love that. And like, I, as a person that hasn't um, explored or been diagnosed OCD. I can't personally do that, but like, if you can go for it. (laughs) I'll have to pass that on to my mom because she has OCD and she will every once in a while, when we post like our planner posts and stuff, we'll say, you know, that I have OCD and this has helped me blah, blah, blah. Like she'll say something like that. Mm -hmm. And she's legitimately talking about that, but people in the comments will be like, Ooh, do you want to come to my house and clean? Like, are you fucking kidding me? I, I find that one especially infuriating personally. (laughs) Well, and that's, that's part of the stigma is that you're right. There are different types and not all of them are the kind that have the spotless houses. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Hi. Like, um, I knew somebody years ago who had pretty advanced, a pretty advanced case of OCD, and their house was a disaster. So much to to the point that I felt uncomfortable in that space. And my first thought when I entered that person's space, because they warned me, like, I have OCD and my house is a mess. And my brain at the time, I didn't know a lot about a lot of things. And so I like internally, I kind of giggled about it. Like, oh yeah, you have OCD and your house is a mess. I'm sure. Um, And then I went to their house and it was a mess. Like you can't step on the carpet in the house. You step on a piece of trash or an old cheeseburger or, you know, like used tampon or whatever. Like there's just stuff literally everywhere. And Um, there's like stuff all over the floors and there's trash everywhere and there's clothes everywhere. And like, it's just a disaster. And my, like internally, I'm like shocked because my idea of OCD was, I I don't know how other people like figured out their interpretation of what things mean. But for me, a lot of it comes from media. And my only experience with OCD was the TV show monk. And, you know, so I was like, wait, don't you like constantly clean and like everything in your house is completely spotless and it looks like you live in a museum? I'm confused. Um, And then my friendship with that person allowed me to learn a little bit more about OCD. So I understood that like um, there are different types and, you know, this friend of mine has this type and this type, not what most people think of, which is this type. Um, So If you're a person that is, you know, like I was with my lack of knowledge and my assumptions and my shittiness, feel free to research the, I think it's nine types of OCD. Seven. Seven. It's really fascinating information. Um, By the way, I have um, perfectionist OCD. I have contamination OCD and I also have pure OCD. Um, So just like, for research purposes, uh, if you'd like to research those, that's what goes on in the little Lord's brain a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> and also, like people don't realize that when you do have OCD, sometimes it can be so damning to your life. And I don't know how else to say that because like it truly can be. Um, it's so debilitating a lot of the times. 
that I get so engulfed with my intrusive and internal thoughts that I don't clean. And I think Mm -hmm. that people forget that OCD is not, you know, being hyper, like having hyper cleanliness and all of that. It can be, it can for sure be. But for a lot of us, a lot of the time, you know, it's so debilitating the intrusive thoughts and the obsessiveness and the compulsiveness about um, the thoughts is what really gets me a lot of the time. And it's what a lot of the time can, I feel stuck. And it's kind of like um, a lot of ADHD people experience this as well, where you just have so many things that you need to do and it's just like going through your brain over and over and over again and what really is going through your brain is get the fuck up stop being so lazy you have to do this you have to do this don't forget about this did you do this don't forget about this and it's a lot of the time it's the same thing um with ocd but in a different light which i think kind of points out the difference between Um, stigmatizing language, which is to say things like um, that creates stigma around um, different type, different uh, neurotypes, like, for instance, functioning labels creates a stigma, right, that like, there is a way to be quote, higher functioning or lower functioning. And there's a, you know, there's a science to it and all this stuff that creates stigma versus what we've been talking about with OCD tends to be on the other side of problematic language, which is that like minimizing, erasing and trivializing. So to say that like, I like my sock drawer organized, so I'm OCD is like, oh, right. Um, So like, so OCD, in my opinion, isn't really that big of a deal because I compare it to having an organized sock drawer. So it minimizes and kind of erases, um, which I think is really um, something that I tend to, uh, when I'm in the last parts of the class, we talk a little bit about um, erasure language. And that's one that I always find kind of interesting. So like the last uh, weird segue into the last part of this class Um, but the last part of this class, I have a slide that I put up that is just like full of text and I call it the, the bonus slide because it's all the stuff that didn't really fit into nice, neat little boxes, like, um, you know, uh, sexist language, racist language. It was just all these different words and phrases. So it's stuff that like, we don't really think about it when we say it, um, so one that I hear um, pretty regularly that falls into that category of erasure is abuse erasure language. Um, so it's stuff like, um, I'm, oh, I really enjoyed your class. I'm going to stalk you now. Um, you know, somebody is, you know, they, they like me a lot. So they've been messaging me a lot. They're, they're harassing me. Um, and then there's other like, more stigmatizing language, which is like, I, I like to call it a uh, substance use language, which is like addicted, junky, druggy, um, clean versus uh, sober. And then just a bunch of other stuff that comes into that, like a uh, suicide language, um, like the, the phrase committed suicide versus died by suicide. And then my, my all time favorite, which usually makes people's like eyes pop out of their head is the um, the word pimping is one of my favorite ones for people to, to realize is stigmatizing and abuse erasure. Um, so they'll say things like, oh yeah, I'm going to start my event. Ne- I'm going to have my event next weekend. Help me pimp it on FetLife or help me pimp it on Facebook. And I'll be like, mm, I have a lot of feelings about that word as a victim of, of sex trafficking. <laughs> And there's that moment of, you know, oh, shit, I didn't realize. So there's a lot, you know, all of that to say there's a lot more where these words and phrases came from. Um, there's there's a lot of, of language. So the idea isn't 
because I think I, I usually get to the end of this and everybody's like, oh my God, that's so many words. How am I going to remember all these words? And I'm like, if you think that you have to memorize this whole list, you've completely missed the point of this class. Absolutely. If you are one who receives correction and you have like rejection sensitivity or even just like some insecurity about it, what would you suggest to someone regarding that? So first off, um, I I always like to say that um, when it comes to um, being upset about being corrected or things like that, like I like to compare that to like messing up somebody's pronouns or forgetting somebody's name, um, especially when it comes to having that moment with somebody of saying like, I, I practice conscious language and you're my friend. Um, I want to know in future interactions with you, are you somebody that, you know, so let's just do that real quick. So mixed dizzy is somebody that I would consider my friend. Right? We, we sometimes get to hang out and chit chat. So I'm just going to have this conversation right now because I don't think I've ever actually had it with you. Um, so I practice conscious language which means that I Mm -hmm. like to be careful about the words and the phrases that I use. Um, Would you be open to adding a part of our friendship where we have the ability and the desire to call each other in when we hear each other use possibly problematic or offensive words? Are you open to that? Absolutely. So since you're open to that, um, if I hear you using, or I see it, you know, posted on Facebook or during the podcast, how do you prefer that I bring that to your attention? What do you need for me to bring that to your attention? Hmm. That's a good question. Like, can I just say, Hey, you fucked it up. Yeah. Like, Hey, do you have a second? Are you in the headspace to take a correction? Um, I'm similar. Um, so if you hear me using problematic or offensive language, you can just say, Hey, Devin, I heard you say something. Do you have a second where um, I can call you in on something? And if I say no, just give me that time and that space. I I will message you back and when I'm ready and say, hey, I'm ready to have that conversation whenever you are. Um, but if I say mm-hmm. I'm ready, you, you can just say, um, I noticed during your class you said this word and you shouldn't use that word. And I will just recognize that I shouldn't use that word. Um, So having a conversation like that with people that are close to you, um, I don't typically correct people or call people in or out that I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. I got the reputation for a while when I first started doing this, that I I was the the language police um, because I was like super excited about the things I was learning. So when somebody would say like, oh yeah, I would love to go to that thing, but is it accessible? Because I have a friend that's wheelchair bound. I would be like, oh, 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 so did you know that the term wheelchair bound is actually really offensive to people that use wheelchairs because it insinuates that their life is somehow limited because they're in a chair? And then people will be like, uh, no, I never thought about that. And now I feel bad for using it. And I would just be like, oh, no, there's no need to feel bad. Isn't it just really cool to learn more about how other people interpret language? And they would be like, yeah, it's super cool that now I feel like an asshole. That's great. Right. (laughs) And so then I kind of got the reputation for doing that every time I went to a thing. And so when I would walk into a space, people would be like, oh, here comes the language police. Everybody be careful what you say. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. I don't want that reputation. Like, (laughs) I don't want people to be nervous about talking around me. So I stopped. Um, publicly correcting or talking about this stuff and started just having one-on-one like person-to-person conversations with my friends like I just did with you um, to say like hey will you do this with me as part of our friendship Um, and then I built the class so now I have a specific space and time that I discuss this stuff and I don't just like I think part of it is because I'm autistic and conscious language is accidentally one of my spins. Um, So basically every time I heard a word or a phrase that I knew 
had problematic origins, I was like, Ooh, this is a really cool time to share my like special interest thing with you. Don't you want to do this thing with me? And then everybody would be like, no. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, I'll just make a Facebook post about it. And and, like, that's how I'll get it out of my system. And then it was, Oh, well that's passive aggressive. You made a post about it instead of saying it. And I was like, Oh my God, what am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. And the answer was, you know, weirdly <laughs> enough, the answer was write a class <laughs> and potentially a book, I guess. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I actually have two of my favorite things that you've taught me um, in regards to language. Um, one was at SLC. You asked M what title and what um, name would they prefer um, that you use to make them feel empowered. That's like one of my favorite things that you've ever taught me. Um, two is, are you accepting physical compliments today or are you accepting body compliments today? Those mm. are two of my favorite things that you've ever taught me. Um, and it's just by you like existing in a space. That's how I learn from people is like, I'm a very observant person. Um, so I think that it's so considerate to have these conversations with your friends and with uh, people who are close to you so that you can know and so that you can learn from them as well. Right. Because I think it goes, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's the easy answer to mixed disease question is, you know, how, how do we deal with the rejection piece of it or the feeling like a failure or the feeling like an asshole Right. And a lot of it goes back to like, first of all, you could have those conversations with your friends so you can mitigate that between friends. Um, But the other part of it is understanding that like you have to know better to do better. And if you don't know better, you can't do better. Um, But there's a difference between willful ignorance and accidental ignorance. Absolutely agree. And I think that it can be harmful to always assume malicious, you know, intent. But at the same time, I do understand people in marginalized communities taking that stance because it can be, it can just wear you down to see it all the time. So um, I think that we forgot to say um, that Devin also has a book on this. Um, He, we did say that he has classes going on. that touch on conscious language. Um, so is there anywhere else where we should find you, Devin? I will be including all of the links we've talked about, by the way. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, the, the book is not done yet. I am currently working on it. It may take me six more months. It may take me six more years. I have no idea. Um, but if you join the Patreon, if you're in the Discord, you will be one of the first people to know when the book is almost finished. Um, all my Patreon subscribers also get the ability to read the book before anybody else. Um, and they get the book for free and all that fun stuff. So uh, don't forget to, to do that because I currently have three books in the works. Um, one of them is I'm like super actively working on pretty regularly. Uh, so hopefully that book will be out soon. Um, but yeah. Then you can always find the classes that I'm teaching and the events I'm attending by checking out devinstone.com or my Patreon. Um, That's where you can keep up with me the best. Awesome. Very exciting. I didn't know that about your Patreon. I'm going to have to look into all those benefits. I know I'm only at the $5 tier right now, but we may have to look at budget to move up eventually. I was eyeing Wrecker over here. So is there anything anyone else wants to say before we close out? Um, I would like to say that you, Em and Wrecker, are cuties. Um, and that's all. Why, thank you. You too. I really like all three of them. <laughs> all three of them are awesome. I agree. I think all four humans in this group are fabulous humans. And now, Daddy, would you please lead us out with a daddy joke? Always. I always do. Good at it. I I try my best. In all things. I know.
Okay. So which is faster? Hot or cold? I don't know what. Hot, because you can always catch a cold. Ba-dum-tsh. 